Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Broken Banquet, a podcast about missions. We are your hosts, Will Bailey and Dr. Ashley Goad, and we are so glad that you have joined us for another conversation about the church and missions, about what healthy mission relationships can look like, and as we hear from others who have dedicated their lives in one way or another to mission work. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Will. How are you today? I remembered your name, so I feel really good about that. Thank you. That's <laughs> that's going to make more sense in a few minutes when people hear the actual interview. But yes, it's nice that you remember who I am. Thank you. <laughs> hey, so our interview today is with Mitch Arbelez, and he was part of your cohort for your doctoral work at George Fox. And I was wondering, now that we've interviewed, I think, everyone who was in your cohort, <laughs> could you talk a little bit about wh- what does that actually mean for people to hear that you were part of a cohort as you were doing this work? Did you guys all work on your your uh, your theses together, or were you all working on the same thesis, or was everyone doing different work, but you were just kind of friends with one another? Like what? And you traveled a lot. You were all over the world with these people. So what, what exactly was going on, Ashley? I would love to tell you about my doctoral experience. So uh, what George Fox Evangelical Seminary, and now their Portland Seminary, what they do for this doctor of ministry in leadership and global perspective is you have a cohort. And a cohort means that you start as a class together. And there were 13 of us in our cohort. Um, So we were LGP number four. So we were the fourth class to go through this program together. LGP four. I don't remember. Anyway, so we all went through the class together. So we started the class together uh, as a class together, and we went through several classes each semester. And part of each semester, we had our own field research that we did because we had to choose a topic. Each of us chose an individual topic for Mm -hmm. our research. Um, just a lot of us overlapped because many of us were so mission minded. Um, and so that's why Julie Dodge studied cultural empathy and Mitch, who you'll find out in a few minutes, studied cultural intelligence. I was just big on studying mission partnership. So, um, every one of us had a little bit of a different, um, research question that we were trying to answer. And so over the course of the three years, we did in-person study work in London, England, Cape Town, South Africa, and Hong Kong. And so we met as a class in those places uh, in person. And then every week we would meet on a thing like Zoom uh, with our teachers. And so each of us also had an advisor. So you all met Patrick Marunga, who was my advisor. He was also Stefania's advisor. Um, And so we were able to walk individually with our advisor through our our research process. So after three years, many of us graduated. Many of us have not finished our dissertation yet, but we still have members of that LGP4, Leadership Global Perspectives, class number four. We still have members of that cohort that we could interview for this podcast. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, I think as I said during the interview, I'm very thankful that you went through that process 
not because of your own personal growth, but just because it has given us a whole bunch of people that we could talk to. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Yeah. 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 It's a great program. I highly recommend it for anyone who is interested in leadership and missions, global perspectives. It is a fantastic program. Well, I'm really glad that we got to talk to Mitch and I'm sure people are going to find this a really interesting interview. I think they will too. Without further ado, here's Mitch. Oh, Ashley, do you want to introduce everybody? I would love to. Okay, so I just I just forgot your name, Will. <laughs> it only took 29 episodes for you to forget who your co-host is. <laughs> Well, here we are. Here we are, friends. It's that kind of day. Like, I just had this brain fart. It just completely went bloop. All I could see was Josiah, and I know that you are Josiah, but to me, you're Will. Right. So You can call me whatever you want, Ashley. (laughs) Well, Will, it is my pleasure. I'm so thankful to introduce you to my friend, Mitch. Uh, Mitch and I have known each other for about 10 years. 10 years come September. And uh, we first met in London, England on a beautiful day along. It was about the same time that uh, John Woodward and Stefania Terrasud and uh, Julie Dodge. Who else has been on the podcast from our esteemed cohort? Patrick. (laughs) Patrick Marunga. Right. We had we have had such a great community uh, from George Fox Evangelical Seminary, which is now Portland Seminary, and Mitch and I got together pretty early on because we just were of like mind, good spirits, and uh, had a lot of love for mission together. and And I will say we shared a Kindle account for I don't know eight years so that we could read each other's books. <laughs> I think I'm still sharing that account, Ashley. I, I jump on there every once in a while, check out new books. <laughs> Wonderful. Great. So, Ashley, I'm so glad that you did that doctoral work because it's given us just so many people for us to interview for this podcast. If you hadn't done that, we would have only had like 15 people and then we'd be done. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we still have more to go. So Yeah. Super. Well, one of the things that I did love about Mitch, though, is that he had a love for a thing called cultural intelligence. And when we got together with Julie Dodge not too long ago, we talked about cultural empathy. So I'm a little excited today about delving in with Mitch and learning about what cultural intelligence is. And I've even brought a book just in case I needed help. I'm excited, too. Oh, we have the same book, Mitch. Same oh, book. No. Indeed, indeed. Very good book on cultural intelligence. I don't have that book. Is it because I don't share a Kindle account with Ashley? Is that why I don't have that book? Likely. (laughs) Well, well, Mitch, we welcome you to the Broken Banquet Podcast. I'm so excited that you're getting to meet Will because Will and I have been doing this podcast for a while. I almost forgot your name. I know you did. I'm going to leave that little hesitation in there because you did. You almost (laughs) forgot my name. What is going on? I'm really tired. I'm really, really tired. I mean, come on, Jenny, get it together. I mean, Ashley, get it together. <laughs> Mitch, meet Will. Will, meet Mitch. Mitch, it is I so will. nice to meet you. Glad you, you have joined us on the Broken Banquet. Hey, it's great to be here with you and Julie. Uh, I mean, Ashley. And uh, <laughs> it's just wonderful to be uh, invited to this podcast. Well, 
Mitch, why don't you tell us first about who you are and how did cultural intelligence become part of who you are? Sure. Um, I came to the United States when I was six years old, having immigrated from uh, Colombia, South America. My mother married an American Marine and we transferred over to the United States. And I very quickly learned that I was not where I came from and it was very different. I had to learn language. I had to learn culture. I had to learn nuances about the new people I was around and everything was different. And so from that time on, I realized that I was different. You know, I was shorter. I was darker hair. I was darker skin. I was better looking than most of my peers, you know, <laughs> well done. And, uh, and that caused problems, you know, all growing up through my elementary and junior high. Finally, by high school and college, it was a little more settled in because I had acclimated to the new to the new environment, to the new culture, and uh, assimilated is what they say. And I became almost more American than I was Colombian. And so then, when I got into my doctoral studies, they said, "Hey, you need to pick a conference or something to do some kind of coursework on." And I began looking at leadership conferences, things like that. And I came across this thing called cultural intelligence. I was like, "Well." My interest in cultures have always been high, traveled around. Now I've been to 30 di different nations, and I love cultural intelligence. So I began to figure out what in the world is this and found it to be remarkably interesting and enough academic depth that I could do my entire dissertation on it. So then give us a basic working, simplified definition for cultural intelligence. Well, it is a person's ability, successful ability to actually adapt to new cultural settings and successfully uh, communicate, transfer knowledge, and engage with other cultures. Okay, so let's work through that a little bit then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how would you take a, a person who's never heard of cultural intelligence, how would you take them through that definition? Like, like work it out for us. Sure, sure. The, the successful working of someone cross-culturally is what we refer as how intelligent are you to transact culturally. The way this came about was a bunch of engineers were invited to uh, Singapore and they began to notice they had Russians, they had Chinese, they had Americans, they had Japanese, they had just different people from all over. And they noticed that the engineers, when they worked together, they were able to dialogue because of their uh, specificity on their, their information. But then when they came to lunches or free time, they only saw a few people have the interest, even the ability to go from, let's say, the Russians to go speak with the Chinese or the Chinese to go speak with the Americans or the Americans to speak to any of these groups that they had there. And they began to look at this as what allows and what is the capability that allows one person to be very comfortable in going to another culture and able to engage when others do not. So they came up literally with a new system of, of analyzing and actually projecting one's cultural successfulness through mm -hmm. cultural intelligence. And they actually made an assessment based on the Steinberg intelligence model, all this kind of stuff uh, that you can actually test it. So how good are you going to people who are different than you are? Mm -hmm. Some people are very shy. Some people held back. They don't want to even talk to other people. Other people are very motivated. And then they also have learned ways to check and balance and you know julie would step in there at that point and say they're they're becoming very empathetic or you know cultural empathy where they're learning how to be careful about some pitfalls some things that you might 
uh, get in trouble with, making sure that you're acting right and doing right. And then they would re-engage, you know, so the, all those steps are in cultural intelligence. And we just simply bring it down to a, a way that we can actually measure it and predict one's successful adaptation to another culture. Okay. So what are some of the success measures? Yeah, there's four categories, literally, uh, and they, they go from motivation. So how motivated are you? We test on that. Some people, I remember one person in my youth group, who uh, his parents said, I have no interest in ever going overseas. Well, their motivation for any cultural engagement is very, very low. <laughs> Where you, Ashley, you travel almost somewhere in the world every month, and you are so excited to do so, and you want to do so. So your motivation will be very high. So that's the first thing is, are you motivated? And what makes that motivation? You desire, you, you've loved maps all your life, you love learning languages, you love cultures, you love different sceneries, all that kind of stuff. The second one is simply your knowledge. So here, what do you know about other cultures? Do you know about political systems? Do you know about how uh, women are treated, how minorities are treated, how handicapped people are treated in other cultures? Do you know how to handshake, bow, or kiss, or, you know, all those kind of different things? Is it one on the cheek? Is it both cheeks? Is it three times, you know, <laughs> and things like that? So you, do you, how much knowledge do you know? And then can you improve that knowledge? And then the third one is ba based on that motivation and knowledge, do you have strategy? Do you sit there and contemplate, okay, I'm going into this culture that kisses on both cheeks, not three times, but just twice. And I need to understand their space bubble. They get real close. They get very far. They're, they're boisterous, these different categories. Then the final thing is the fourth phase is all that your motivation, your knowledge, your strategy goes into how you're going to act. Your behavior is modified. And then that cycle continues, continues, continues as you learn different cultures and even the one culture that you're in to modify your behavior. So the behavior is the only thing that anybody sees and people mm -hmm. are more culturally intelligent when they're able to produce a correct and effective behavior mm -hmm. when they're in cultural different situations. So thinking about those four things, what I what I think would be important for anyone listening to this is if we could just keep defining some terms, because mm -hmm. I think that the average listener that's jumping into this might need some more uh, background before we can delve deeper into what does this mean for us, even if we're working locally, if we're working globally. So let's just define a few more terms. So we've got cultural intelligence. Would you say that individualism and collectivism that those are two things that play high roles into cultural intelligence? Uh, absolutely. And you just hit on one of the 10 different cultural values that we begin to describe when we talk about different cultures. And we have divis divided all of the nations into 10 clusters. And these clusters range differently on each one of those 10 cultural values. So you talk about individuals and collectivism. So United States is ranked very high on individualism. You know, they're all for their own. They, they, they move away from parents, things like that. And they make decisions very quickly by themselves. Well, you go into collective, then you go into more an Asian culture, you know, let's say the Chinese. And so they're very collective and they make decisions based on their groupings, their family, their orientation, things like that. And so when we think about the gospel, and this is a broken banquet, you know, when we want to invite people to that banquet, we have to understand that they may not make a decision as a make Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. 
they may want to bring their family along. And the head of the household, depending on, again, that authoritative, that's another cultural value. When he says, hey, we're going to move this direction, then everyone moves accordingly. So if we understand those cultures, if we understand that, then we can present the gospel in a culturally relative way so that they can understand it and accept it. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the cultural values. But then there's others like low power distance versus a high power distance in leadership. There's a low uncertainty avoidance versus high uncertainty avoidance with how you're willing to take risk. Then there's cooperative versus competitive, how you get things done. And then there's short term versus long term, your emphasis on outcome and time. And then your low context, high context, your doing versus being. You know, Ooh, you well, let's stop time. there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the being one is 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 remarkable in that we are able to judge cultures, and and unfortunately, I use the word judge because the being would judge the doing, and the doing would judge the being individual. So a doing like let's say Ashley's a very go getter, doing man, got her doctorate, and she's all about time and schedules. She goes into a Costa Rica or a Latin America setting where they're more about relaxing and enjoying the day and the time. And things get still get done, but they're more focused on being with one another. Julie or Julie, Ashley, now you got me doing it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I forgot your name for a moment. <laughs> Ashley would tend to judge that culture and go, God, these people just don't get, get with the clock and get going and time is money. That's just like that. That's a person with low cultural intelligence. But Julie. Julie <laughs> Yeah, I'm about to paste, paste that name up there. Ashley, with high cultural intelligence, Ashley would go into that arena and go, hey, this culture is being. So I need to lower my expectations in me getting my agenda done and things that, and realize the joy of being. And Ashley eventually will learn and enjoy that culture for just being. And so, then, but the, the being, when they come into the doing culture, they have to also realize, hey, these guys are all about the time, getting punctual, getting things done. And I have to learn how to relax differently than I did in my home country. So mm-hmm. that's a great one that has a lot of strife and a lot of conflict on people as well. The last thing I was going to ask are maybe what are the difference or is there a difference between cultural values and cultural assumptions? Ah, very good. Yeah, cultural assumptions is sometimes an ignorance of our lack of cultural intelligence. We assume certain things, and when we go into cultures and say, oh, they're going to always be lazy, and we use uh, pejorative terms, you know, uh, bad terms to, be, to label people as either lazy or backwoods or uneducated, things like that, and we lose the values that they actually carry. Every culture has values. That's why we call them cultural values. They just emphasize different values in their culture than you do in your culture. So you can't judge a person based upon your cultural values and judge someone else's culture as bad or ignorant or lazy because they don't measure up to your cultural values. They have different ones. So very good. They value certain things. We value other things in, in our culture. And, and the, the way I start my whole seminar when I teach this stuff is I teach on culture. And you've all probably heard the iceberg model where the top is yeah literally literally was turning to that page yes so that iceberg model is very good and it's been used for so long in that the top is the behaviors and what you see but underneath that you've got values and beliefs and even worldviews what i have moved to ashley 
in my <laughs> is very much of a lily pad model. And in the lily pad model, it has the same at the top. You have the lily pad. That's the behaviors. But underneath that, you have your beliefs, then your values, then your worldview. And what that allows us to see is that the lily pad and ecosystem is a constantly evolving thing. It's not a static iceberg that's non-changing. We have so many influxes of globalization issues. I talk about cultural hybridity, cultural homogenization, migration, and all these things that literally affect how cultures change. And so you can think about a, an American in 1920 would be shocked of what we're doing right now in 2023. It's a, still an American culture, but yet we have changed so much that it's almost be unrecognizable. Our values even have changed a little bit in those days, but we're still very different from, let's say, the Chinese or the Russians. The uh, lily pad model gives us a much better understanding that, hey, it is fluid. It's changing. It's always going to be functioning in a different way. And we are seeing that it's a live system rather than a static, non-changing system. So I have gone more towards a uh, lily pad model when I teach on culture. I know that you, you go and do cultural intelligence seminars for churches, for like local mission teams, for GoTo Nations, which is your, your missions organization that you work with. Where do you start with them when you're trying to teach them this concept? Where do you start with them? In a sense, of, I always start with culture. We have to understand that we were, and the word culture literally comes from a Latin that seen it's the same root word that is for cultivating is the same for culture. So the iceberg model, static and hard, does not blend itself as much as the lily pad model to realize we're all cultivated in something. The very ground that Ashley grew up in, her parents, her father, her mother, her neighbors, her background, her, her, her childhood, was literally like an agrarian term, feeding her nutrients to become the person that she is now. What she holds as a worldview, what she holds as beliefs, what she holds as values, and that depend that determines her behaviors. Where you take her to another culture, that individual, let's say Will has been living in another country and he's now been taking in the nutrients of that country so much so he actually becomes more like that culture. Very much like I did from Colombia. Now I'm in the United States. I'm a little bit more Americanized, as they say, and become more assimilated to the US. So I'm not as Latino or Colombian as I used to be. And even when I go back, I'm different. So I start there with everybody understanding that they had some type of cultivation all their life growing up, that they now just behave a certain way. And they may not even realize that those behaviors come from their beliefs, their values and their worldviews. And so when we look at going to another culture, we got to understand that they were also cultivated in another soil with other nutrients and have become who they are. And so we need to honor, and that would be empathy, cultural empathy, honor that, respect it, but then also how are we going to communicate the changing gospel, the changing uh, lifestyle of the gospel of Jesus Christ into their worldview, uh, beliefs, values, and behavior. So once again, Ashley, we're, we're having a conversation that I really wish somebody had had with me 20 years ago when I was getting ready to go into the mission field full time. So glad we're getting around to this now. But my question <laughs> is, I can 
totally see the value in, in thinking about this stuff before going out into anywhere really to, to serve. But my question is, if I said to a church, so Mitch, one of the things that I do, I am in Costa Rica, and one of the things that I do is host volunteer teams that come from the United States to, to partner with churches here in Costa Rica. And if I say to a team leader, hey, before you all come, um, here's this packet of information about cultural intelligence. And, oh, here's some more stuff for you all to read about cultural empathy. Oh, and here's this book about cross-cultural servanthood. What do I do with the one who responds to me by saying, Will, why are you making this so complicated? We're just trying to go down there to work for a week. Yeah, and that's one of the things I love about assessments. You know, we've all taken personality assessments. We've all taken you know, even possibly done our IQ tests, we've done, you know, a battery tests, things like that, that test all kind of things on us. What I love about the Cultural Intelligent Institute has developed these assessments that I can take your short-term trip and they can take one test and then we can, uh, that, that assessment, then we can gather together and we can just walk through of some possible pitfalls they would have going into a culture that's different than theirs. Then what I would do is talk about specifically the culture they're going to, uh, maybe Costa Rica, you know, if, if that's the thing. So the Latin Americans, where do they lie on these individual, collective, low power, high power, space, you know, things like that. How's the greetings? What are some things you should or shouldn't do? That's the knowledge base that we impart into them. Then out of that, okay, so now that we know Costa Ricans may like a smaller space bubble when they talk to you, don't keep backing away when they're in your face, because that would be considered rude and dis, disrespectful to them. So I would love to do an assessment on a team before they go into a country. And the great thing is that the Cultural Intelligence Center has developed a pre-trip and a post-trip assessment. So that means you can test your people before they go into a country and then afterwards, and you can see even the differences of people who have changed over that one one week or two week short-term trip. They literally have increased their cultural intelligence because they've had to strategically think about their behaviors. So in preparation for any team, I would think, okay, there's a different culture. You're going to experience different things. And I'm sure this is done of every trip. But instead of getting them books to read and this to do and all the kind of stuff, if you can give them one little assessment and then they actually see themselves. And we actually do a 360 assessment where there's five or more individuals that assess, let's say, Ashley. And so how does Ashley function in another culture? How is she doing with her knowledge? How is she, is she motivated? And so the, the friends assess her and then she assesses herself. It's all compiled together. And now we see on a chart, literally scores where she may score herself high on motivation and others may score her, you know, even higher than she is or on knowledge. They go, like, oh, Ashley needs some help here and here. And then suddenly Ashley gets not only her own opinion of herself, but in comparison to others' opinion of her. And then she said, okay, I need to work on this area in this particular dimension of this, one of these attributes that I have here regarding, let's say, knowledge of, of cross-cultural interactions. And then that way helps her strategically prepare for other engagements where she's going to come across other cultures. And, and Will, it's not just for a short-term trip. 
we are lucky and, and blessed that we have so many short-term trips going out of the U.S. to so many different nations. But as you and Ashley both know, the nations are literally coming to the U.S. And there's not a time here. I'm in Jacksonville, Florida, and I can go to the grocery store and I can hear five different languages that are being spoken. And so those languages come from different cultures. And so when we see these nations coming to us, it, it's like everyone. And I, and I think Julie would echo this in her cultural empathy, that everyone needs some type of cultural understanding that the nations are coming to us and whatever means we can to make ourselves prepared to interact culturally and hopefully be able to communicate Christ with them. So now I'm thinking logistically, and I know that there are, there are some of the people who listen to this podcast are leaders of teams who come to be a part of what we're doing in Costa Rica. And I want them to have an idea of, of really what it is that you're talking about. If, the, if, if a church wants to do this, if they want to do this assessment, is that something that they need to start thinking about six months before the trip? Is it a series of things that they'll want to work through once they've got the assessment done? Is it something you can do the weekend before you leave and then you do right after you get back? What is it? What is ideally, if a church wants to incorporate this kind of an assessment into their planning for a mission trip, ideally, what does that look like? Sure. The ideal would be you have a few months before the trip. Uh, three months would be ideal in that they take the assessments and if they do the 360, they can have their friends take it. And then when we do the debrief with them, they literally see their scores and they literally see, oh man, I, I am so culturally unintelligent in this area. And so then we begin to give them exercises and things like that before they go on the trip to do and to help them become more culturally intelligent, specifically with regards to the trip that they're taking. Let's say, you know, Ashley's got a trip going to Romania. That's going to be a different culturally uh, understanding than it would be to Costa Rica. And with Ashley's background of traveling around the world so much, she can tell you how she probably modifies her behavior, modifies her greetings, modify even perhaps how she stands and how close she stands or how she even speaks with other cultures. Uh, whether they're very expressive or whether they're not, they're more neutral in their expressions. So just things like that, people begin to learn, okay, these are things that I'm going to be looking for as I go into my uh, different cultures and my trip. But I have a question. What would you say to the person who's like, well, that's all fine and good. I'm so glad that I've learned about this, but this is my personality. I'm not going to change who I am. I don't have to change who I am just to go to another country. Sure. And, and we're not asking people to fake a different persona than they are. But this is where, again, cultural empathy, you, you have to have the empathy to at least recognize that there is a difference. And because there's a difference, you hopefully being Christ-like will do that which would not cause your brother to stumble. If Paul speaks about not eating meat because your brother, you know, he, he's against eating meat, he says, I will never eat meat again. So if that's the case with Paul, then how much more for us, if we're going into their country and we're working with them on their projects to benefit their community or their society, that we would not try to do the best that we can and become the non-abrasive, arrogant, loud Americans that we're personified and judged as, you know, and assumptions upon us, that we would at least come in and go, okay, this is more of a less expressive neutral 
type culture. They are very collective. So, and, and they have very high standards on leadership. They're what we call the high power distance. So we're not going to be egalitarian and all equals here. We're going to have the leader make the, make the decisions. So when we learn that kind of stuff, the best compliment that I've ever received when I was in South Africa, just before we joined you, Ashley, uh, there for the D-Men program, one of my hosts said to me, man, Mitch, you are really flexible and very accommodating to whatever you're, you're given here in this country. That is one of the best compliments any missionary short-term or long-term can receive is that we are willing to adapt to their culture. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I'm changing my personality per se, but my personality is one, first of all, Christ-like. And being Christ-like, I want to love people where they're at. You know what I think is really interesting is thinking about combining cultural intelligence with a long-term relationship and commitment to a place. Because I'm thinking about how, like if Ashley, if everyone from First Church who over all of these years have, have come here to be a part of what we're doing, had gone through this kind of assessment and, and learning process then by now what you would have at First Church isn't just a community who loves us and loves this ministry, but it's a community who loves us and loves this ministry and has a much deeper understanding of this community and these people that they love, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how different those two things are and just what a benefit that would be to these, these kinds of abiding relationships that we're trying to create. I think about how what a big ask that is if you remove it from the long-term commitment. If you have a church who one year they're going to come here and, and be with us, and then the next year they're going to go to Uganda, and then the next year they're going to go to Cambodia, to think that they're going to be going through this process every single time with a different culture that they're trying to learn about and immerse themselves in, I think that's a big ask. So to me, I see a, a benefit in this kind of really long-term commitment because there's uniformity in what the people are, are learning about and relating to and, and falling in love with, if that makes sense. I was looking through this book, uh, Cultural Intelligence by David Livermore, and David, Liter- David Livermore has seems to have the, the corner on cultural intelligence here in the U.S., and a few of his questions at the end of the book were about how he would expect short-term missionaries to come back from a trip asking better questions and telling better stories of what they have experienced. He's encouraging people to ask questions like, well, how does my cultural background enhance my understanding of the scriptures and how does it hinder it? And what do the Christians in this culture seem to understand that I can learn from and what aspects of the faith from this culture reflect something I need to learn? And that seems to be something that Will and I have talked a lot about on this podcast is instead of going into a country or a community or next door with the understanding of what is it that I am going to bring to teach these people and fix them instead going with an attitude of humility of saying, how can I learn from this culture? What are the things that Christ would have me see through this culture? Do you agree that this is an important part of cultural intelligence and what we learn from it? 
Absolutely. Matter of fact, one of the mm-hmm. things I teach in my seminar that's not in the academic books because I try to bring more of a Christian background, but David Livermore even teaches it as well in some of his Christian settings, is that what is the biblical foundation for cultural intelligence? And one of the things I bring about is that Christ desired to communicate to us. And he, in past times, he used the fathers and the prophets, Hebrews chapter one, you know, and he, but now he has spoken to us by his son. And so God's desire to communicate with mankind has gone throughout all of the biblical history we can read in the Old Testament. And finally into the New Testament, his, his very son communicates. And then he deposits the Holy Spirit in us to keep a communication line going with the Lord. So in that, we see that God desires to communicate to us and then through us. So when we go to other cultures, we respect and understand that God is communicating through them as well. So in this teaching, I bring out the prodigal son, you know, Luke chapter 15. And so I, you can ask the different cultures, you know, the, ask the, the Russians, why was the prodigal son in the pig pen? And all because there was a famine. Okay, then you ask the uh, Africans, why was the prodigal son in the pig pen? Oh, because no one gave him anything to eat. And then you ask the Americans, what would be the answer? He'd squandered all of his living that his father gave him. Okay, so then you go, okay, so which one of these three is correct? And you think, you read the first uh, out of Luke chapter 15, it said, and the prodigal, you know, squandered all of his living, you know, and oh, there you go, the Americans are right, you know, that's, but then you read on and it says, and there a famine rose in the land. Oh, the Russians are right. You know, then you read further on and said, and no one gave him anything to eat. And you realize that each one of these cultures, including our own, read into the scriptures our own culture. Again, we were each cultivated in a unique way. And therefore, when we read the scriptures, we literally are reading it from our own cultural background. So, Ashley, your question is great, is that when we go to other cultures, how were they cultivated and how can they reflect the gospel of, of Christ? What are they, how are they learning the gospel in a collective culture, in a top-down leadership culture, in a being versus doing culture? What have they cultivated out of the gospel, out of the scriptures that I can benefit from? And, and as you know, traveling so many countries, like I love the way you know, the Costa Ricans read this passage and, and express this. And I, I love the way the Africans have pulled this out and this meaningful characteristic of God. And I love the way that, you know, the Europeans look at this particular uh, nuance of the scripture and really, you know, highlight that. It's good, Mitch. That's good. You know, I think the fact that Jesus, you know, God incarnate wasn't culturally neutral matters immensely. I mean, just think about how different everything, I mean, the the gospel would be if Jesus wasn't, hadn't been a first century Arab Jew. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and how relevant that is to the way that Jesus, that God revealed himself to us through Jesus the stories that he told and Mitch, some of what you were saying made me think about that and made me think about the book. And I'm going to say the title wrong, but it's like misreading scripture through Western eyes that I read recently. And it talks about this tendency that we have to insert 
things that go without saying for us culturally into the biblical story. And a lot of it just comes from us thinking that it's the whole thing was just written to me for me, right? Which is problematic also. But it completely overlooks the cultural relevance of who Jesus was, where Jesus was, and that matters a lot to the things he said and how he said them. So culture matters. And I think if we ignore culture when we try and answer the call to be Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth, you know, some people might think it's it's a noble cause to be culturally neutral. I'm just going to go and I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to be judgmental, also not going to participate a whole lot. I'm going to do as little damage as possible um, and, and try and do good work in the meantime. And that's not, I mean, how much can you really do that way? But we also can't just be wrecking balls. We have to pay attention to culture. This cultural uh, intelligence, I think, is is incredibly important. And I'm encouraged that we're talking about it and encouraged to think about how useful this will be to some of our partners. And hopefully this will become an important part of how they imagine their relationship with us but also their relationship with anybody that they're in ministry with. Well, no, I agree with you because I think the most important book I've read in the last three years has been Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by uh, Kenneth Bailey. It completely upended the way that I read through the Gospels, just completely changed my my view and it has caused me to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again and read it with a different context and, and cultural view. So. And I think that's also why we love going to the Holy Land so much, because we can see the land, see the geography, see all of the object lessons through the eyes of, of, of Jesus and of the culture. Yeah, very good. I think, uh, you know, in, in my education, I have learned through biblical interpretation uh, teachers to first and foremost think of when Jesus said it, who was his audience? What was the culture, the historical point, context? Then you bring it into your cultural context and how can you apply the truth that he was trying to make within his culture and his historical setting? And how can what what applicable truth that he spoke can I transfer into my culture and my setting? And that's the way we ought to interpret scripture, you know, and, and be able to disseminate it to our hearers and our listeners that the message of the gospel and the truth that he gave that christ spoke that god spoke that is unchanging but the method by which we communicate that may not be uh, an agrarian type okay the wheat and the field and okay but what did he mean by that and therefore we put it into our context and we apply it to our situation and that is through a cultural intelligent lens Mm -hmm. so mitch do you and i apologize if I'd done more homework, I might already know the answer to this question. But do you do any sort of long-term training and then sending of of missionaries into the field? Is that part of, of your work? Well, well, I'm part of an agency, Go to Nations, who is World, World Headquarters, is based here in Jacksonville, Florida. And we do trainings here, missionary preparation orientation and in that process, we do teach a little bit about these things. But then we also have a Timothy program. They go for 10 weeks, and they're based in another nation. And at that time, they are learning cultural adapt- adaptation and trying to figure out the culture they're in and how to learn a the language, things like that. 
so that's a long term that the agency does. Myself, I do the seminars for more short term trips, uh, colleges, learning on cultural intelligence, understanding that hopefully they will place into their format before they go into another culture, you know, just to put on kind of the, okay, uh, like Ashley's going to go to this country. Let me start thinking about this culture, this country, how do these people function? And when I strategically prepare myself, then my behavior will come out better when I get there Mm -hmm. as opposed to just flying blind and thinking I'm in Costa Rica while I'm in Romania, you know, and, and, and make some mistakes there. Very good. I used to have that problem all the time when I was traveling so much and I was going from country to country to country to country. I used to say that my biggest uh, decision that I had to make on a daily basis, though, was do I flush the toilet paper here or do I not? (laughs) Exactly. And and some people don't realize how important a choice that actually is. Uh, Huge. It's huge. And see, the assumption, Ashley, would be that's disgusting. Why would you? put the toilet paper outside of the toilet that's just because we've been cultivated in our particular country that that's what you're supposed to do but it's not right or wrong it's just different right and when as will said when you learn the culture as to why they do certain things you will totally understand why it's better for you to function according to their standards and livelihood than it is for yours because you're coming from another culture it matters (laughs) Yeah. All right. And, and, and if you ever cross the border from the Mexico, North Mexico into Southern Texas, a lot of the bathrooms, once you cross the border, have littered with paper that has not been flushed. Because again, the people coming from Latin countries or Mexico are coming across the border thinking to do the exact same mm-hmm. thing they did in their country. And suddenly you have paper all over unintelligent culturally an individual would look at that and go, Oh, these Mexicans are so dirty and so nasty. They just, they wipe themselves and they throw it on the ground. Honestly, they're doing what their culture and country ask of them because they're being, they're, they're being respectful to not clog the pipes, mm-hmm. you know? And by the same token, you could say that the, the Latinos coming into those bathrooms could be culturally unintelligent saying, oh my gosh, what is wrong with these gringos that there's not a trash can? We're just supposed to throw this on the ground? Exactly, Will. Very good point. Exactly correct. You are becoming culturally intelligent just in this podcast. It's only take, <laughs> it's only taken me 20 years. <laughs> well, Mitch, this has been incredible. And I'm going to let you two just finish off the podcast in Spanish. And uh, y'all can sign us off. Perfecto. Gracias. <laughs> Ha sido un gusto tenerte con nosotros aquí en El Banquete Roto. Gracias. Un placer para mí. Mitch, thank you so much. Julie, Jenny, Ashley, uh, Dr. Ashley P. Goad, thank you. Hey, I am happy to share with you friends from all over the world anytime. And Mitch, we're just so thankful that you could join us. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and your cultural intelligence with us. And we're very thankful for all the work that you do around the world. So thanks for being with us on The Broken Banquet. Bye, Ashley. Bye, Will. Bye, Mitch. Bye, Mitch. Bye. Blessings to y'all. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. 
all things are ready. Come to the feast.